Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking in Stations midweek update for December 27th or 28th, depending on your time zone. I am Artemis Albosa, member of the Capitalist Army and the Network Alliance. Joining me today on the show, we have co-host Silver Suspiria. Happy holidays, everybody around the world. We also have joining us again, Ron USMC. Happy holidays, everyone. And special guest on tonight's show, the Alliance Executor of Test Alliance, please ignore Sapporo Jones. Shalom, everybody. Happy holidays. This is going to be a, a fantastic show. Everybody is generally looking forward to this one on the show tonight. But first, we have some news to get to. Uh, perhaps the biggest news of the week, Triumvirate has lost their staging keep star in CTAC-J. This was something which we had been looking to happen in the near future. Triumvirate had been losing members, losing Sav. They lost a bunch of super capitals on the 22nd. So it was only a matter of time, but it finally happened. Skill Yourself did kill their Keepstar. No T2 rigs on this one, just the one T1 rig. But nonetheless, it's quite the blow. Any thoughts? Is this the nail in the coffin for a Triumvirate? They have lost one Keepstar before and come back for it. What do you guys think? I don't think it's the keep star that's the nail in the coffin. I think it's their supers that they lost. That was a lot, a lot of this and a lot of assets lost there. How hard did they? I didn't see the battle report for that. How hard did they show up to contest that keep star timer? I thought the keep star timer was after the super move. The keep star timer was after the supers, and they did not show up to contest whatsoever. Oof. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I think I think that that. That loss of supers there was was really the hurt. So that loss of supers, let me try and get the numbers for us while we uh, continue to discuss. Yeah, that was ten titans and four supers, and it was like one point one four trillion. Oh, yeah, massive. Yeah, good, good, good catch by Snuffed Out. Those guys were the ones that it was their show. You know, they got the tackle. They called in the dudes to like help with DPS. Ah, it was a good catch. They did, they did some really good work there. They have become exceedingly good at that, haven't they? Yep. Yeah, it seems like they have. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed like they were picking up and moving across the galaxy. I didn't expect them to go back to do... I didn't even know the Keepstar had a timer at the time, to be honest with you. But, I mean, it seems like when you're already that far out, it's tough to go back and, like, do anything about that, right? Like, Like, you're already halfway to the north, right? And it takes a day or two after all those losses, right? Is it the current rumor that the Triumvirate is moving up north? I'd heard that myself, yeah. Uh, that definitely seemed to be their direction of travel. I don't know where they're landing once they get up there. No, we had heard that we would have new neighbors shortly. Um, but I don't know exactly where. Well, that may shake things up for you there, Silver, and you've actually had some recent news of yourself, some happenings on Christmas Day, in fact. Uh, yeah. Um, so we, we wound up giving up the Sov and Cloud Ring. Uh, we had a little disagreement over what would happen around the Christmas holidays with Pen is Out. Um, our initial agreement was we would cool it for the holidays, and then, uh, then they decided that that wasn't going to happen. So... I knew for myself that I had a lot of people out, including all of my senior staff um, going on vacation and stuff. So we just conceded the Sav. Um, and I assume 
maybe it had something to do with the disagreement and us backing off, but Snuff uh, came in and RF'd our staging for Czar and Pure Blind on Christmas Eve uh, with a few Titans and uh, a subcap fleet. You know, I had no one there to contest it. Um, and then they followed up on Christmas Day or Christmas evening Eastern time um, with a you know a modest fleet uh, for the holidays. But again, I could not match what they had. So we now have a timer for New Year's Day. <laughs> so GG. I mean, well played. I mean, uh, there wasn't really much we could do. I mean, uh, we'll see what we can do on the on the whole timer. Um, uh, it's just you know we'll, we'll fight as hard as we can as we always do. But that's it. You know, they took advantage of us being being a little bit light light handed. So how did that work? You were you you set up a ceasefire with penis out, penis out, and. Uh, and then snuffed out came in. Is that what happened? Uh, well, we we had originally talked about a ceasefire with with Penn is out, yeah. Um, and then uh, you know their lead FC contacted me and said ah, it wasn't flying with their guys. A lot of their guys had planned to play Eve over that holiday because um, they had off from work and stuff. So he, you know, so I said okay, well we're gonna have to give up Codring because you know those were all low ADM systems that we didn't live there anyway. Um, and we just wouldn't have the people to contest. So we gave that up. And I don't know if that giving up or disagreement over the ceasefire provoked snuff because, you know, they're tied together somehow. You know, I don't know exactly how deep that goes. But, you know, on Christmas Eve, snuff showed up saying, hey, Merry Christmas from Penn is out. Left some home uh, mobile depots outside of our uh, Fortazar saying, hey, courtesy of Penn is out. Happy holidays. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's Spurge. You know, so they took advantage of the situation. <laughs> Um, and yeah, Snuff RF'd it and then followed up the next day on Christmas. Wow. Sounds like a bit of a sticky situation to be in. It, <laughs> it's a little tough, yeah. Um, such as Eve, though. Well, yeah, and indeed, speaking of other things that are just very typical of Eve nowadays, uh, an Alliance tournament ship has bitten the dust. We saw a fiend belonging to, so it's in the Alliance code. But as I understand it, the pilot and his corporation was actually a member of the old Hydra Reloaded team, or whatever they rebranded themselves as, and they're just sort of in code for the memes. But in any case, they went out flying a fiend, which is a, a very expensive, very powerful Alliance tournament ship. Has Essentially, it's a phantasm, but it's a heavy interdiction cruiser. A lot of DPS, very good damage mitigation, or mitigation, but uh, a single supercarrier waiting on a bubble will uh, will kill it just fine. And that's what happened. So rest in peace. That, uh, that personifies 2018 subcapital uh, combat, in my opinion. But in any case... Yeah, I, I think what was, what was interesting is, you know, so they... So they said that in the AAR, they said that he had just killed, uh, and I, I was looking at uh, his Z kill, and he had just killed a VNI, and there was no local. Local was broken. He had just killed a VNI, and then he was trying to extract, and he got caught, you know, by a bubble, and then there was a, a hell sitting right there waiting for him. So, GG on that one. <laughs> oh, that's rough. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. Are they, is that petitionable now, you think, if local was broken? Or how does that work? 
over a fiend, I'd definitely give it a shot. Yeah, right. I mean, you got to at least try. Ron and I were discussing this before the show, and if memory serves, uh, to Evil One lost a seed to rats back when the the new drifters were first released because there was a bug, and he got it reimbursed by CCP, but there was this massive drama about it, and so CCP basically came out and said, "Listen." we're not reimbursing AT ships anymore. And so as I understand it, the current ruling is, even though, yeah, there was no local, first of all, that meant that that's how he got the VNI kill, right? Because with the local bug, if you can't see local, people can't see you in local, at least as you far as I can tell. I don't think that's true. You know, I, I'll be, you know, really? I don't want to go, I don't want to go far too far down this hole, but I've had two clients up. One client could see local, the other client could not. It's happened to me. I submitted a bug report about it. I've talked to CCPers about it. I know it's happened to other people. It's not the same for everybody. And I think that's the major problem with this ongoing issue with local. There's no chatter about it's still broken. You know, it's not consistent. It's not the same for everybody. No, it's it's really inconsistent. It's not a bug. It's a feature, guys. <laughs> it's a feature. <laughs> I mean, it really feels like that because there's no chatter about it. You know, all my bug reports go unanswered saying that it's working as, as expected. I don't know what's going on, but honestly, if that's true, if he had no local, I mean, he's got to have a case here. It's probably not easy to move like the chat system to its own separate thing after all of these years and after all of this, like cruft and spaghetti code in the code base like it's this, this whole thing like we're seeing issues from it and it's taking them a while to respond to issues regarding it and i think that's just testament to just how complicated a move this is for them i think at the end of the day when they get this you know all fixed and it's stable again i mean we'll absolutely see better performance right like that's we'll, we'll benefit from it as players it's just you know it's a long road to get there yeah it's totally the right move to do um, and it is difficult. I think we have already seen um, some benefit from offloading that, um, but it, it's still got some issues. Definitely. I think uh, CCP also said with the the AT ship loss that they'd leave it up to GMs, like at GM discretion, if you filed the ticket. So like if that guy, you know, filed the ticket and he got lucky, you know, played the the GM like lottery, maybe maybe a nice GM will give him his fiend back. Like that's a pretty rough way to lose one. Yeah, and wasn't there some drama about the GMs moving, like the UALX like supers and whatnot, saying they couldn't log in, and then like GMs moved them, and then there was like drama, like no, they can't be moved, and they were moved back, and some silliness or something with that. Uh, I only know of one super that did get moved out by CCP, and it did get returned. Uh, I don't think it was put on grid, but it was returned to UALX. Not really sure how everybody got out, but I mean. You know, the system was pretty badly busted because of, you know, our player-driven content. If I recall correctly, there was a case of one revelation, the Dreadnought, not the, the supercarrier, that got moved and then was put into a corporate hangar. Well, there was also the Titan, but in addition, there was one revelation that got moved, got put into a corporate hangar, and then somebody else took it out and was flying it. And so in the dev blog about this thing, CCP said, yeah that technically should go back, but it's not really significant, and it'd be kind of unfair to move somebody else's ship now back into UALX. I found that quite amusing. That's a fair point. I think they handled it, the whole UALX, like, I, I would say, yeah, I think they handled it very well. I don't know. It was definitely a frustrating time for everybody on both sides, and tensions were definitely high. I thought they did a, a pretty okay job. Agreed, and I, I think they're under a lot of pressure with all these situations. Obviously, this fiend 
has some monetary money value tied to it, you know, via Plex pricing, you know, it's a valuable asset to lose. You know, there's a lot of stress there, and I, they usually do handle themselves pretty well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 150 billion. That's that's just a big that's a big chunk of change. And you know what's interesting is he flies that big stuff, right? Like he he's not afraid. He'll fly it. So good for him, you know, for flying it. Well, yeah, and that's why I sort of hope that he does get it back because you know you should be encouraged. Those ships shouldn't be. I feel the same way like classic cars, right? They should be out being flown, driven, fought with. And I I, I would hate to see him lose it because he didn't have info he should have had, right? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, sure. I mean, I guess to another extent, like, super capital or proliferation, right? Like, Well, yeah, that's the other half of the story, right? Like, <laughs> really, he couldn't mitigate a super's damage? I mean, that that sucks. Well, I, <laughs> I, I meant more like, you know, D, like D-scan, like perches, like, you know, warp, warp to celestials that are near the gate and try to D-scan your outgate to make sure that you don't get caught and stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a certain level of, uh, like, player ability that sort of contributes to this. I'm not trying to say he like made a mistake. Like, I mean, it's like I think fiends are up to, like 250 bill now. Like, it's yeah, it's look, very look, high. That is that he like props to him for taking it out and going out and getting fights. Like, that's cool. But like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you miss that. Like, I don't know. Here's a here's a question for you. So the frigate version of the fiend, it's called an imp, and it's an interceptor. Does anyone know? Did it get hit? Did it lose its nullification, or does it is it still nullified? Should we just recommend this guy flies an imp now? He won't get caught by supers in an imp. I, I recommend to any of your listeners, don't even bother asking yourself that question. Just if you have one, contract it to me, and I'll just I'll, I will do the <laughs> science, dude. I'll, I will take it out and apply it, and I'll find out for you guys. Like it's fine. It's a hero we deserve. All right, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about uh, some other stuff that has been happening, or rather, not happening on Christmas Day. Uh, we had quite a few blue, blue balls going around. So looking into Christmas, we had timers up north, right? So the Imperium went up on a raid through some wormholes, reinforced a bunch of systems in tribute. And then we had uh, the test staging Fortizar. I believe it was the faction Fortizar outside of the entrance to Geminate in Oijanin that was coming out on its final timer. And then we were expecting to also see some shenanigans with some Citadel drops, like the normal sort of Citadel spam you see on Christmas Day. So what happened? Well, so nothing happened for us. And we were really expecting a big fight because they paid, uh, you know, they paid the iron price to reinforce that thing. So we thought uh, they were all in, but... No show on Christmas Day, which was quite surprising. So, you know, we just formed a small fleet and kind of messed around. But uh, we were waiting. We were on standby. <laughs> I, for one, was pretty okay with them not forming. Like, I got to be real with you. <laughs> right. So blue balls for Tess. And then the timers themselves in tribute were also saved with no contest, as I understand it. So blue balls for NC as well. And then what? The Imperium just didn't form? So blue balls basically all around the blue donut. Is this how I understand it? I think it probably sounded like a like a great idea at the time they were reinforcing it. And then they're like, well, wait, that's actually Christmas, man. I just want to chill out. <laughs> yeah, it's Christmas. Let's keep this wholesome. Let's just say that it was a, sort of an unofficial sort of a, like a Christmas ceasefire. Yeah. Where we all agreed to just take some time off and just appreciate each other. Right. 
Yeah. Gee, that, that's nice. You got on ceasefire on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying. Besides, oh, there's right. the sound sound fed up. Right. Somebody, sorry, dude. Somebody <laughs> forgot to invite fed up. Oh <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, it's interesting that things have like culturally, we can say that a Christmas ceasefire is a uh, is a viable option when previously, like the amount of uh, edgelordiness that we had in Eve would have been that, no, Christmas is prime time for making people's lives miserable. And it just, it didn't happen this year. It's crazy that that happened. Yeah, and, and it's not just Christmas, too. Remember, like, um, uh, during FanFest, you know, people, as two days, you know, into FanFest, when everyone knew that they would be there, people would start, you know, reinforcing structures and, you know, like this holiday tanking kind of thing. Uh, and then I remember there was somebody that was like going to the birth of his child and they're like reinforcing things while he's at the hospital. Like, oh man. Oh yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Vegas, Ooh. any big Eve meet is always a good bait to, to try and do something. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's just, let's get right into it and talk about Sapporo. We've got you here. You're the, Alliance executor for Test Alliance, please ignore the, if I may, main stay, the main alliance within Legacy Coalition, formerly a member of the Imperial Legacy Super Coalition, whatever we call those things now. In any case, we're here to talk about you guys. I like that. That's a good, I like that. We do? <laughs> All right. Super Coalition it is. So... That was a thing, but we're here to talk about you guys because you recently, Tess in particular, won the Talking in Station's Most Influential Organization Award for this year. And so what we want to do is basically give people a, a history lesson of Test Alliance Please Ignore, because Ron has been here on this show and behind the scenes sort of pumping you guys up, talking about all of the eviction attempts, how you've been down and out and kept coming back and on and on and on, like really pushing hard. And so now our, you had our attention, now you, no, 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 what is it? Somebody help me out, what's the movie quote? I always Django think of this as like the greatest comeback story ever told better than other comeback stories. <laughs> I mean, he's right. You know, we, we had it really good and then we didn't. And then we built it back up again over the course of several years and, and now we've got it pretty okay again, you know? It's good, it's good to be in test. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. How did Test start out? Because you're veritably a Reddit alliance. Is that the case? That's absolutely correct. Yeah, we started off as a, a Reddit-based corporation, Dreddit, uh, and we became our own alliance probably one or two, one or two, one month, I think, two months maybe after we were founded in March of 2010. Uh, we crashed on the CFC's couch, well, Goon's couch, then later the CFC. Uh, found our way into Fountain. Uh, helped evict IT Alliance, uh, eventually kind of did our own thing, started our own coalition, accidentally took like seven regions in the southwest. Uh, uh, then we picked some fights that uh, we maybe shouldn't have and uh, ended up losing all of our solve. For you personally, like what, what are like some of the like kind of highlights of the Fountain War? Because, you know, one of the things like newer players or newer members, like I point them to videos and things like that. 
but I think it's hard to get an understanding because we were kind of crashing on the couch, you know, the goons couch. And there was like some, you know, craziness that happened. And then we went on our own. So like, what, 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 like for you personally, like, what is the, what are the kind of like the big highlights of that fountain area? Uh, I mean, you know, like sort of the big milestones were, uh, you know, us forming the Honey Badger Coalition uh, with PL and Raiden and the 99% and uh, gosh, so it's a list of names that's just too long. It's just too long. Uh, but anyways, uh, we ended up taking Delve, uh, Quirius, and Period Basis. Uh, I think some of Esoteria also. Uh, we ended up then kind of abandoning uh, Delve and the Honey Badger Coalition when Sword Dragon became the leader of the Honey Badger Coalition. And uh, we began recalling and sort of uh, coalescing more into Fountain and uh, reducing our our holdings. Uh, so and this was back in 2013 that we're talking uh, here? 2011, I think? 2012? 2012. I'm pretty sure this is 2012. It was, uh, it was basically we spent... Uh, you know, a couple of years just sort of, uh, you know, we have these sort of fun, uh, like alliance operations, like uh, uh, evicting Owen Alliance, uh, evicting Kriba from 9UY4 and Pravi, just, you know, fun, fun stuff. Fight, fighting Morsis Mihi in the South, that was fun. Uh, just, you know, just going out and doing stuff. We didn't have real, it didn't feel like we had real wars until. Uh, until Delve in about 2012. But uh, yeah, then we, we sort of reduced and coalesced down to a fountain, sort of consolidated what we had. And uh, then there was the big moon rebalance uh, that made fountain, I mean, more profitable. Fountain was already pretty profitable, but fountain got more profitable in the moon rebalance. And uh, we ended up in a war with goons that was very, was very peaks and valleys. It was going very well. We were all amassing allies. It was going very well for us. And then it wasn't going super well for us. And then just kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Okay, we lost. We lost that war. Yeah, I think everybody knows it at this point that we lost that war. Uh, the, the, the war itself, I mean, you know, we had really solid allies. And we, had, we had definitely people that I would say, for the most part, were committed to success in that campaign. Uh, and it was, it was a rough... It felt like a very long war, even though it was really only like a month, uh, just because it was just such a roller coaster. You get you get you get success in one fight, and then you just lose the next fight. You know, you you you'd you'd have a big fight where you're you know where you're about to lose. You got everything on the line. You got super capitals on the line, and then CCP remaps the node, and the server goes down, and all your stuff is saved. Yay! And then the next fight, you know, everybody in test leadership is it testable, and nobody's around to like steer the ship, and things fall apart. Like it's you know it was peaks and valleys. Testable, what is that? In ye olde day, we used to have a test uh, get-together that was in Chicago, uh, where people would go and hang out for a weekend and get really drunk, and Montolio would hand out uh, blue standings buttons to people, and like, it was good times. Montolio, now that is a name I have not heard in a long time. What is the, the story between him and Test, and where is he now? Montolio was our, I believe, second executor uh, and the longest running executor of Test Alliance from 2010 until about 2012, mid-2012 or so, uh, when he handed the reins to uh, Frass Siabi. 
and eventually Buddha Buddha. He's uh he's still around. He uh he still pays attention to the game. He still uh, hangs out on Discord. Uh, he logged in just this week. Actually, I was very excited to see him come back to the game. So the the sort of passing leadership within Test. You guys have been around for years. You've had multiple CEOs. The the most recent example of sort of leadership passing we've seen like in PL. We've seen it in the Hard Knocks as well, where. When the leadership changes, the culture of the organization really changes as well. Did that happen in TASP? Was there a cultural shift with the leadership change or what was up? You know, that's a really excellent question and definitely a hard one to answer. Uh, from Montolio to Buddha Buddha, not really. Uh, I mean, Buddha kind of led things differently, but internally, like in the Alliance, it didn't really feel all that different. Uh, Buddha Buddha had been around as uh, CEO of Dreadit and leader of some squads in Test, and uh, him becoming executor. I mean, you just saw him slightly less because he was more busy with space work. But he was, you know, it was the same alliance, just a different, you know, guy behind the wheel. I think Skierx, when he took over, really, uh, really, Im really made. What am I trying to say? He affected change in the Alliance for the better in a big, very tangible way by making very hard decisions, very unpopular decisions that led to us surviving uh, some of our lowest points as an Alliance. Do you have some examples? Like what, what was the situation when he made those decisions? Uh, so post Fountain War, uh, we'd bounced around a little bit in Losec and uh, eventually come to rest in, uh, in Curse, uh, an NPC Nolsec in a in GTACO, uh, the system was picked so that our guys would have, uh, it was a good mission hub, basically. And so the idea was that we could sort of, uh, you know, sit tight for a minute, figure out what we we're going to do, uh, and our guys would have, like, a way to make some money. Uh, but Curse gets farmed pretty heavily by, you know, its inhabitants. Uh, and running missions, it turns out, was more mm, risky than we thought it was going to be. Those mission sites uh, often camped and harassed constantly. Is that what you ran into? Yeah, uh, that and, uh, I mean, Dirt Nav Squad was really effective at uh, putting a stop on our player versus environment activities. Uh, but the other thing that we didn't expect to happen was a lot of alliances were interested in pursuing us to curse, uh, which we thought was pretty far enough away from Fountain that nobody would care or notice. And so we ended up getting, I think, two or three weeks or so before people started to show up. So uh, Northern Coalition showed up, uh, goons started to show up, uh, PL announced they were going to show up. And uh, we ended up having to make a decision very quickly to pivot, uh, well, to decide whether to stay or to pivot in a different direction. And SkierX made the call to take us to Faction Warfare. Which is a really tough decision for a NullSec alliance, because most NullSec alliances don't go into faction warfare and successfully come out the other side. Like, it's, it's rough. That's but typically the headstone. Brave, right? Brave is the only other alliance that has actually gone to faction warfare and survived. I think uh, and now before you two us, are allied? Yeah, I think Nulli Secunda also had a faction warfare stint, and they ended up doing pretty okay for themselves afterwards. That's interesting. Uh, what about faction warfare kills NullSec alliances? Is it the the content shift from larger ships to smaller ships, or, or what, what is it that, that causes the people to die there? 
you know, I can't speak for other alliances, but certainly in test, most of the people in test got into test because of NullSec, because they wanted to do NullSec things. They wanted to uh, do super cap production or, uh, you know, run moon chains and reactions and uh, do NPC or do NullSec related things that you can only do in NullSec. And going to low sec feels like quitting, you know, like you, part of it is that you're basically saying we can't do null sec. And the other part of it is, well, now you're saying I can't do null sec. We lost a few corps. Uh, their stated reason was just they don't want to go to low sec. They want to stay in null sec. And that's fine. You know, we lost a bunch of dudes that way, too. You know, like their, their life is null sec. They're used to null sec mechanics. They want to stay doing null sec stuff. And faction warfare didn't really sound like a lot of fun at the time. And, you know, there, there are reasons for that. Sure. Faction Warfare, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure, like, I'm sure you know. But, uh, you know, for those that don't, like, it's, it's tough to manage a war zone. Like, to put it in perspective, uh, at the time, the militia that was uh, supposedly the hardest to work with was the Caldari militia. And unfortunately for Test, the only militia that we had standings high enough with to join was Caldari militia. And so we kind of got pigeonholed into that, uh, and working with them was not fun. Uh, they 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 expected that we were just going to fall on our faces, and we weren't going to do anything, and we weren't going to take any any space in the war zone. And we very quickly showed them wrong, and then they basically shut down, and they didn't really help with anything. Uh, they didn't do any of the loyalty point drives. They didn't show up to do any iHub flipping. They didn't really do anything. They just kind of waited for us to do everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking from the Galente side, uh, you know, we've seen that a lot uh they have trouble coalescing into one unit and the glenthony militia up until now always was better at that you know a single you know unified drives to things yeah at the time they were real hot to trot about public comms so that anybody joining the war zone and wanting to help would be able to join comms and coordinate and be useful and for those of you that are familiar with like how spies work uh, like you know that that's going to lead to problems right so you know on every fleet you're just rife with spies. You know, you got 30 dudes in channel, you got 20 dudes on fleet. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's rough. Like, you know what's happening. Oh, yeah. I'm dealing with it right now. Yeah, everyone's mic is broken. That's why they're not on comms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah they're, they're, or yeah. girlfriends. They don't have services set up. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a rough time. And also, it really kind of limits uh, your options for what you can fly based on, like, who's in the war zone at the time. At the time... Uh, uh, snuffed out, dominated the war zone that we were in, and we were trying to take moons because, I mean, we were trying to figure out how to adapt to faction warfare, basically, and make money at the alliance level. And that's a really tall order when, you know, you're new and at, in the war zone and you're, you know, you're coming off the back foot from your nullsec, you know, war that didn't go super well, and you're trying to figure stuff out. You know, for us, figuring it out, you know, our first step was, okay, well, let's secure some moons. And that proved really challenging because we didn't have any supers, and Snuff had sup lots of supers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest shift for you, right? You you go from NullSec where a lot of income is alliance-based. You know, you got ratting tax, you got the moon reactions and all that stuff that, you know, the alliance collects. In the in LowSec, in Faction Warfare, that flips. Your wealth becomes, your wallet becomes your members, right? They're the ones out there doing LP exchanges and missions and, and things like that. And the alliance is very poor, but your member base becomes, if they're doing it right, somewhat wealthy. 
So that's, yeah, that's a huge exactly shift. right. You, all of your money is reinvested into the alliance. There's no real storage like for a war chest, right? Like you're you're funding exactly. loyalty point buyback programs and like setting up alliance level contracts, you know, with a slight markup so that the alliance makes some money and you know, every everything everything is very uh, kind of hand to mouth. Like you really don't make that much money. It's really tough. And if you go into it with very little money, it's very hard to get those really essential programs like set up and running. Like the, the loyalty point buyback thing is probably the best way you have to make money as like a faction warfare alliance. But if you don't have any money to put into that to start it, it takes a long time for that to get going and for you to see any kind of return on like your money going out in faction yeah. warfare. And it's a job. You know, loyalty buyback, loyalty point buyback is a job. You know, keeping yeah, up it's a, on it's a full division you have to run. It's not just yeah. like a one-man thing. Yeah. yeah. But you guys eventually did get it set up and running, and then moved out of faction warfare to form Hero Coalition. Do I have my timeline right? Yeah, basically, uh, we had a brief stopover with Insidious Empire in the north, uh, attacking Veil of the Silent during the Halloween War, where we were going to be the second uh, front during the Halloween War. And the idea was that we were going to apply pressure. The idea at the time was that there is no way that goons can handle a war on multiple fronts, yeah? And that if they're all in in the south, that we can apply pressure in Vale, and that will bring some of their forces back up north, and they'll be weaker in the south, right? This sounds really good on paper. You're dealing with the largest coalition in the game. So when we opened that front in Vale, they just tossed an alliance at us, and our coalition of Test and Insidious Empire couldn't really do much to contest. So that ended very quickly, and we ended up uh, forming the Hero Coalition uh, down south with Brave Newbies and some other guys. And that's when you came in, right? Right around then? Uh, I was our military director at the time. Uh, we, so what happened was we, we were working with Brave Newbies on some low-sec things. We had some like friendly skir skirmishes, and uh, we seemed to work pretty okay together. Uh, at the same time, uh, Nulli Secunda needed some things done and needed some people to do it. Uh, Progod had uh, some things he wanted to try on Stainwagon he was not very clear about. But he needed somebody else to do it so Nulli Secunda could try this, this fleet concept out. And so what he did was he hit up a bunch of dudes in Nulli and put together a contract and got uh, Brave and Test and uh, Spaceship Samurai... Uh, on this contract to apply pressure to Ketch in the north of Ketch. And so the idea kind of made sense, right? You know, they want to do stuff in southern Ketch, so we apply pressure in northern Ketch. Is this starting to sound familiar? It sounds familiar to me. We would apply pressure in northern Ketch, and we would split their forces with a second front in the north, okay? <laughs> so we got all together, and we staged in Sendaya in Derelict, and we got, we got the band together, and we staged in... Uh, a really awful Amar kickout station. Uh, and an interesting thing happened uh, about a, two weeks or so into that campaign. Uh, Russia annexed Ukraine. Now that's interesting for, I mean, a number of, like, obvious reasons. But what was interesting to us is that there was a Russian alliance that was Darkness and Despair, I think was their name. And they occupied some systems in Northern Ketch. And it turns out they were a mixed alliance of Russians and Ukrainians. And apparently what happened was the Russians kept memeing on the Ukrainians about how they just annexed Ukraine and these guys are like, now they're slaves or whatever. And the alliance, the alliance just imploded. 
as great as the Eve community sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny how that works. You know, real life does have a real impact on, uh, on, on cultures and tribes in game. Uh, so when they, so when they imploded, they just, they just closed the alliance and dropped all their saw. And Hero quickly moved in and scooped up that saw. So now we had a foothold in Northern Catch that it wasn't expected we would have and that we'd have to fight tooth and nail to get, but we just took it overnight. And AAA uh, didn't expect that to happen either, and they started to sort of consolidate into and around GE Tech 8JV and Catch, which is their sort of, it's the ancestral headquarters of Catch, uh, for those that don't know. It's whoever lives in Catch, the, you, you end up just living in GE Tech, and that's just your headquarters. It's a... Uh, it has to do with the jump bridges and uh, uh, logistics networks around Catch, because Catch is kind of a weirdly shaved region. So you basically do a hub and spoke thing where you live in GE Tech 8JV, and then the surrounding systems have jump bridges to useful places. And so we just kind of kept pushing in uh, Catch, and eventually ended up taking Catch for the Hero Coalition. It was uh... And that was a, a, a big case of test having, you know, skilled pilots that knew Sov and Brave being able just to supply bodies, lots and lots of bodies. Is that what, would you agree with that? Yeah, Brave, the, the horrifying thing about Brave was their numbers. It wasn't like advanced tactics or uh, doctrines. I mean, it was the kind of thing where, you know, you would show up to contest Sov against Brave and they'd bring like 700 molluses. Like 700 molluses, like <laughs> two full fleets of molluses. It was, it was unreal, the numbers they brought. And uh, so they were, they were able to do some kind of crazy things with low skill point stuff because they just had a lot of numbers. So like things that would normally seem very tiresome, like... Uh, shooting structures and stealth bombers was actually something that was effective for them because they just had so many guys that they could pull it off. Was Brave back then the biggest alliance, if I recall correctly? Didn't, like, uh, CCP have to raise the maximum number of characters you could have in a corporation because Brave got so big? Or am yes. I misremembering? No, you are absolutely correct, yeah. Yeah, Brave hit the cap. I want to say it was three times it had to be raised, uh, which is fine. Like that's to be honest, like it, that's really good of CCP to do that. They should just nuke that member limit mechanic, anyways. But they recognized that it was a problem and they went in and they raised the member limit so that you know, Brave could keep recruiting. That's pretty cool of them. And this, this is right around the time of the video. This is Eve, right? Because I remember Brave was just getting you know. 50 to 150 people a day that were applying. Yeah, this is this this is Eve was huge for Brave, yeah. Yeah, Brave uh during Hero era got a lot of attention from CCP. Uh you know, they got mentioned a lot on uh streams, uh on uh like promotional material, like there was stuff about Brave newbies being like, you know, new player approachable and stuff. They got a lot of they got a lot of really good attention and drove a lot of players to Brave back then. I don't know if they really do a lot of that anymore, driving people into alliances in game. But back then, like Brave was pulling in crazy amounts of people, especially after this is Eve. I remember they would have a full fleet of just ECM, like 250 people in just ECM, and it was just devastating to anybody. <laughs> yeah, it was absurd. They were capable of some really crazy things. 
what happens next because Brave did not stay this massive like newbie recruiting thing. Drama happened. They ended up going to faction warfare. Like, what's the story that? How did things progress? Uh, as an outsider looking in, uh, I believe, in my opinion, what happened was they came to Nullsec with the structure they had in Losec that worked pretty okay for them, where they were a democratic organization. So they had a uh, a middle management leadership apparatus that was democratically elected, and that led to factionalized like groups within the alliance and uh, and uh, schisms formed around that you know the the guy i didn't want got elected well i'm very disappointed and dismayed and i don't want to do stuff in the alliance anymore like that kind of stuff and also some uh coops in uh divisional leadership where uh divisions would just go on strike until their divisional leadership was replaced wow holy cow it was not very top down and it took them a while to sort of figure out how they wanted to re-implement their leadership into a more top-down structure, and I think uh, I think Kigali's done good work getting that done. It is definitely more traditional now than it ever has been. You know, he's he's definitely the guy at the top. There's definitely you know echelons below him, like you would see you know in any other Nullsec alliance. Like it's very, it's it seems to be very well structured now. Yeah, somebody should write a, write a white paper on that, right? On how the democratic <laughs> model didn't work, and here's how you shift. You know, yeah, it's a failed experiment. Yeah, no, but yeah. like, in, like realistically, you know, in, in organizations, just for the most part, you know, democracy doesn't really work, right? Because you know, it, at, at, and especially like, you know, everybody wants to have their voice heard and have a seat at the table, but you don't really have the same access, like level of access to information that people at the top get. So you can't really make informed decisions with your vote, right? And then, and then like when you don't get your way with the vote. Like, it's easy to feel disenfranchised, like my vote doesn't matter and none of this matters. And like, it, in EVE, that's really tough because you're dealing with a very small number of people. And what, another thing that's interesting is right around that time, that's when uh, PL said, hey, you know, we see all this drama over here. We're going to show you how to really do a newbie corp. So then that's when they formed uh, Pandemic Horde. I remember there was a lot of drama about that, but because uh, a lot of brave people went over to P Pandemic Horde, and and it was you know, it was just it was crazy. Yeah, they definitely pulled in some leadership dudes from Brave who were very disenfranchised with how Lichten ran the alliance. Uh, Lichten Condor at the time was the alliance executor for Brave newbies, and he was uh, he was a good dude. He was very gregarious and likable and uh, charismatic and uh, regularly intoxicated, very fun guy to hang out with. Uh, but if you're, you know, if you're the, the, the mainline FC, right, you're, the, you're, the, you're one of the, the senior FCs in this organization, and you feel like you have no support from leadership, like it's very easy for tensions to rise and things to get heated. And uh, it's tough to catch that stuff until it's a, like a real problem. And I think that's when PL swooped in and grabbed those guys for pandemic horde. You know, like there was a, Somewhere there's a SoundCloud of uh, an FC meeting that happened when we were in Hero. And uh, this guy, I don't remember his name, uh, but he just he spent like the whole meeting just coming at Lichten. Like, you know, you don't know what you're doing and you shouldn't be in charge. And I know more about Eve than you do. And I don't know why you're here. And this is, you know, this is just, you're just wasting everybody's time. Like, that organization had problems. 
So that was the organization of Brave during this time. What was the organization of Test like? Uh, we were a skeleton crew. We were still uh, trying to figure out what we wanted to do organizationally. We were ho we were holding over a lot of our structure from when we were still in the CFC, still in Fountain, still a big powerhouse. And we hadn't really figured out that we needed to change and adapt you know, to our size and our strengths and not just carry stuff over because it's tradition, you know? And it can be really tough to change uh, culture and attitudes, uh, even just restructure divisional leadership, uh, because changes when you're on kind of shaky ground uh, make people nervous. So uh, it was hard to find a balance for how we wanted things to look and what we wanted to do. Like that kind of stuff sounds like, you know, a no brainer, like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, you just set it up and it's in stone. You just don't touch it again. But sometimes you have to because the situation changes and you got to do something about that. And you got to remember that there are people out there that are putting their time on the line for you. And uh, I mean, you got to keep that in mind. If you spook them and they bail, that's a resource you no longer have access to. Yeah, I think it, that's something that a medium sized group uh, or close to being large group even has to pay attention to because. You know, your bench may be not as deep. You know, the loss of one guy who's disenfranchised to another group really hurts. Or your situation often changes a lot. Like, that's what we're kind of going through now in Fed Up. But, you know, every time we go somewhere, it changes, you know, almost monthly. So, yeah. Yeah, you're always going to be exposed to different situations in different places. You know, regional mechanics are different or income streams are different or the pressure from, you know, external entities like, you know, other alliances, whatever people you work with, people you don't work with. All of that stuff changes everywhere you go. And so you got to learn to be flexible. And that's a tough thing to learn to do. So I have a, a, a question, and, and I know that you've told me the answer, um, but, you know, more as a kind of an information because you got to a point that you had to make a really hard decision um, because we were there in Hero, uh, we were at Catch, everyone was moved in, uh, we were getting harassed by PL constantly, but, you know, what are some of the things that happened uh, during that time that made you say, oh, you know what, let's move and let's do it on our own? Like, how did that happen? At a certain point, uh, people mm, people kind of vote on activity through participation to a certain extent, right? So you can get a sort of gauge on how people are enjoying a given thing by how many people show up to that thing, right? So, you know, when the chips are up, right, and you're doing something that, you know, strongly narrative-driven with a good narrative or, you know, just a quality objective everybody can get behind, you know, like dudes show up to stuff. When it's constantly getting, you know, harassed by, you know, PL or whoever, like, they're just going to stop showing up. So at a certain point, we went from having, you know, 100, 150 dudes or so in fleet to pulling like 20 for strat ops. Yeah, I mean, it gets to the point where uh, it, it starts out with you're fighting the good fight, but then it keeps going. It, you know, it becomes a grind, right? And people don't like to grind for too long. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, to put it simply, people just don't like to play this game to lose, right? Like, that's not fun. And uh, when you don't feel like you have a way to, like, win an engagement, like, that's even worse, you know? So at a certain point, we kind of looked at it. We'd had a lot of discussions in High Command. You know, our relationship with Brave was kind of frustrating back then. There was sort of a culture clash between Brave and Test. Not, you know, 
not to say that they were difficult to work with because they really weren't. Uh, it was just kind of the way things, the way they did things wasn't really the way we did things. And it led to disagreements about stuff, the best way to do things. And, uh, you know, we'd get frustrated and we'd, you know, discuss it as any alliance does, right? You always kind of evaluate what's it, like what your situation is like. Could we have it better if we did this? Would it be worse? You know what I mean? And, uh, I mean, eventually we realized that we were only putting like 20 dudes into strat ops and like, we were still like, you know, making the same amount per month, you know, using the same resources as if we were big, but we're only like putting in a minimal complement of people into a fleet. And maybe it was time to just try something new. So we sent some dudes out to do some recon work. We took our wormhole corp and we sent them out to a couple different regions uh, to scope out what life was like in some other places, you know, uh, you know, who lives here? What do they do? What do they fly? Like, how do they like each other? Like, you know, just basic information like that. And we settled on Wicked Creek as being a place that we may be able to pull off a rebuild. And uh, we made that decision to just pull the trigger on that and do it. So what was life like in Wicked Creek? Poor. It was really poor. <laughs> it was really it was listen it was really poor okay so it's like it's it's like you're 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 walking through like the forest right and you're thirsty and you see like there's a footprint and there's some water in that footprint and so you get down on all fours and you drink that water from that footprint like it's the fucking you know it's holy water what it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna save your life this this murky dirty filthy water it was rough man uh, Durr described it as we were living in a refrigerator box in an alley, and if anybody got too close to us, we'd just wave a box cutter at him until they went away. <laughs> <laughs> Durr being Durr Herder? Yeah, Durr Herder, yeah. And at the time, to put this in perspective, back then a billionaire was a lot of money. I mean, it's still a lot of money today to a certain extent, but I mean, back then, like, it felt like a lot of a billionaire went a long way. I would say a month's flex was 300 mil at the time. So you're talking three months worth of game time? Yeah, billionaires felt like a lot of money. Uh, at the time in the South, uh, Nulli Secunda. So the South was a hafnium rich uh, super region. Yeah. Like the, 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 the most common money moon that you have down there are moons that contain hafnium. Yeah. And so what Nulli did was they put together a hafnium cartel. And they kept the price at the level they they just fixed the price, and then that that was just they made their money off of having you. And we sort of rode those coattails. We didn't know they were doing it at the time, but we rode those coattails and made that money off of Hafnium all the same. Uh, in Hero, all of our moons were Hafnium, and we were miserable managing Hafnium moons across an entire region. Like that's rough. Uh, when we moved into Wicked Creek. It was worse because I mean. So at the time, Gorgon Empire controlled almost all of the R64s. They'd been renting out Wicked Creek uh, for years and just, you know, being the dominant presence there and just keeping weak people in that region so that they can just control them, you know? They, they had a protection racket. It wasn't really rent, by the way. They got really mad when I said that they were renting. It's not rent. It's protection. They're keeping them safe. It's hard knocks, right? That's what they said. They're just keeping them safe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, like it's, you know, just making sure nothing happens to these guys, you know? But that meant that uh, Gorgon Empire had all the R64s, and uh, Red Alliance had some of the R64s they had taken. Uh, Gorgon Empire was very small. 
Red Alliance and Dreamfleet were very big, and so they'd managed to like take like half of Wicked Creek or whatever. So uh, when we moved in, when we moved in, I thought that I had this. I thought I was. I thought I was the smartest squirrel. Okay, I I set up uh, deals with everybody that lived in Wicked Creek. Uh, blue standings, you know, with everybody that we were leaving behind so that we could have this safe move and we'd get to our, our new home in Wicked Creek and UTEC HVIX and everything would be lovely and we'd have about a week or two of safe moving uh, and then we'd just, you know, we'd have our hedonism island of crabbing and we would rebuild there. And uh, the problem was Red Alliance didn't believe that that's what we were there to do. And uh, I had met... I had many conversations with Red Alliance uh, and No Fucks, who was the uh, they were an alliance called Almost Awesome, and they were the USTZ presence of Red Alliance and Dreamfleet. And I had many many long Skype chats with these people to try and convince them that honestly, all we wanted to do was just move here and rebuild. And they just did not they did not believe it. They didn't want to believe it. They knew we were there for something else, some other nefarious reason, and we were going to evict them from Wicked Creek and take this entire region and work with Noli Secunda, the evil people that had been at war with them for years and years. So all of these deals were in place, and then suddenly they weren't at about 10 o'clock my time, day one. Ooh. So this station that I parked the Alliance in as our new home that we were waiting to get transferred uh, back in – this is back in Dominionsov, keep in mind. So it couldn't, there was no easy like, like transfer ownership function for stations, right? Like you had to give it to a holding corp. That holding corp then left Alliance and joined the new Alliance, and then the new Alliance had the outpost, right? So we had all of our stuff, the entire Alliance, moved in like a day everything we own in this one station and by 10 o'clock that night that station was getting headshot by uh red alliance and Dreamfleet and uh black legion wow what followed was about four hours or so five hours or so of back and forth station flipping where they would take the station and then you know we would take it last hit and then they would go to hit it and they'd take it, and then we'd cap it at the last second. It was just, it was absolute craziness back and forth, just, just craziness. And it culminated with uh, us calling in PL for support, and them coming and taking that station for us. With their supers. <laughs> yeah. So after we were able to secure UTech HVIX and move in, we then began the process of like, you know fully moving into and fortifying and upgrading the region, which is a very expensive process for those that don't know. Now, when I was talking about Hafnium before, that meant our Alliance wallet or so at the time, our, our liquid ISK was, we had 70 bill in reserves. Like that, was, that was it. And uh, it's tough to deal with all of the upfront expenses you have with moving into a region, right? You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take out all the towers, then you gotta retower all that stuff, then you gotta pay for iHubs, iHub upgrades, TCUs, uh, just e everything you use on a regular basis in Sovnol, that, that all has to get paid for, and it's an upfront expense. And it often takes two to three months for you to see a return on any of those investments. So you're just watching your Alliance wallet dwindle. And it was tough, it took us, uh, Took us about six months or so to stabilize in Wicked Creek. It was uh, it was pretty rough. 
during which time we were at war with uh, Dreamfleet and Red Alliance. Uh, no fucks, we ended up killing off, and they ended up becoming a completely different alliance, which we then also had to fight and evict. And uh, just campaigns and different... Ah, it was a weird time. It was, uh, it was crazy. There were just fights everywhere. All we wanted was our crab home, guys. Okay? <laughs> I just want a rat, man. Dude, I just, want, I just want my guys to have some money and, like, feel good about logging into the game, you know? Like, like come on. And then you might have someone in the fight. I remember once we took out a... We had an FC take out a Proteus fleet. Uh, at a time when our Alliance wallet was finally approaching the triple digits for the first time in months. And uh, the total ISK lost on that T3C, that it was a Proteus fleet. Uh, it was 22 bill worth of Proteus fleet that that guy lost on that fleet. And I remember just the crushing weight of seeing just basically a third of your Alliance wallet disappear in SRP costs, you know what I mean? Oof. But we survived. We survived that. Yeah, everything post Wicked Creek has just been a constant upslope of us looking at where we're at and reevaluating and working with really smart and very talented people to make the right decisions and grow the alliance and make it stronger and better than hopefully it's been in a long time, if not ever. So, so after that Proteus fleet loss, did you have to adopt adapt policy uh to fix that you know as a rebuilding phase maybe we don't fly proteus did you do any of that and then how the second part of that question is how did you then pick up recruiting again well we paid that out i mean it's what you got to do we did delay payment on a couple of the srp requests because we just simply couldn't pay them so there was about two weeks or so where people didn't get their srp paid out because we just didn't have the money uh, we did end up changing fleet comps uh we went to Feroxes and Hurricanes. It was Hurricanes for a long time. We did a lot of Serbs and Caracals. Uh, Rapid Light Missile Caracals and Serbs were excellent back then. Uh, you know, you just you just kind of shifted away from stuff that's pricier that you may not be as effective with, right? Like, the, the T3 Cruiser loss, like, we, we should have known that that was not going to be a very good idea. But it sounded like a good idea at the time, and dudes were really enthusiastic about it, so we gave it a shot. And that was a good lesson to learn, that just because people are hype about a given like ship type doesn't mean that should be like your ship-of-line DPS, like build a comp around it. Uh, I mean, our comps very traditionally focus around what trades effectively, right, in a fight. So it's less about, you know, what's fun or like what's the best high skill point doctrine or what's blingy and elite or whatever. It's just about what is going to be the most effective in a given situation. You know, when you don't know what everything is going to be that you're going to be fighting. And then on March 19th, 2016 test left wicked Creek and on to a, a big adventure World war B. Do you remember the like the the kind of the beginning of World War B, like how uh, you know Tess got involved with that, how that kind of played out, and if you even thought it was doable in the beginning? I wasn't really sure how that was going to play out. It had, uh, World War B had sort of started three months, four months or so before we got involved. Uh, Lenny had hit us up a couple of times about going up there, and we weren't really sure how to feel about it. Uh, and whether it was a good idea to get involved, like what politically that would mean for us. Um, we eventually made the decision in March, 
that it really just had to be an all-in thing and there was no way around it. And if the, the, the feeling of dread was that the, the Russian pincers were closing in on us, where Red Alliance and Dreamfleet were starting to build up assets sort of north northeast of us, and uh, south of us, GOTG was sort of getting set up and from what we heard was getting ready to begin an eviction campaign of their own. So for us, it was just like, we can stay here and defend our SOV. That's just a refrigerator box in an alley, or we can join something bigger. So we just made the decision to do that. It wasn't about any kind of malice towards goons. It was literally that contract. That was some good money. Yeah, if I remember right, and I could be completely wrong, but when we took that contract, we only had something like $200 billion or something. If I, if I remember right, I, don't, I could be wrong. That sounds about right. It may even has been, or may even have been as low as 150. I don't remember. It was not very. We didn't have a lot of money. We we did not make a lot of money in Wicked Creek. It was tough to stay profitable. We, uh, I want to say initially we were looking at something like 70 bill a week or something. Uh, eventually, Billy got that raised up to sign. I don't remember what it was. But initially, it was like 70 bill a week, and that was huge money for us, going from having nothing to that. Like, that's, that's significant. That is crazy. Yeah, everybody that was taking these uh, Lenny contracts, these, these were big money contracts, you know? Tissue was making, I think they famously said they were making 420 bill a month off of these contracts. Like, these were, these were not, this is a lot of money. And, uh, I mean, it was stuff people wanted to do anyways. Like, yeah, of course we want to go fight. Like, yeah. Like, what else are we doing? So we worked with people and moved up to OBE from uh, UTech HVIX, our trail of tears uh, through Losec and Geminit. Trail of tears. <laughs> many, many NPCs, many ship crew NPCs were lost on that trail of it, that trail of tears from UTech H to the north. That was tough. Wait, so what happened? Uh, moving supers through great wildlands is not advisable. Were you just constantly getting hunted, or is the geography bad? What was the deal? Uh, there are groups of people that live in and around Great Wildlands that just hunt supers in and around Great Wildlands because it's very easy to predict where people are going to go when they're traversing that region to get north or south. And so what would happen is we'd have dudes uh, like trying to solo move their super capitals or their capitals and uh, just losing their stuff. Wow. Uh, at one point, we had a corp. Uh, I want to say it was a corp carrier. Uh, I don't remember the name of the corp anymore, but their their carrier got tackled by the guys that live in Great Wildlands. And I have no idea why this guy didn't just use a station, but uh, whatever. Uh, and he went to his corp and said, I'm tackled, and here's the system. And his corp jumped everything in on top of him to try and save him. Uh, everything being like eight other like carriers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a corp op guy. You know what I mean? We were pretty small. But, like they dropped everything they had. They brought the house these eight carriers and like a Rorqual and uh, ended up feeding all of it. So great wildlands is a great wildlands is a tough region. That's it's, it's tough to get through there. Just like it's tough to get uh, a super capital fleet through like low sack Cal mill. You know what I mean? Like they're just areas of the game where it's tough to move. And that's not a jab at anybody. That's just, you know, there are people that live there that hunt for stuff like that. And it's just, you know, 
unless you know what you're doing and you have everything set up and you're doing everything perfectly, it's pretty easy to get caught and lose stuff. So you make treacherous move through Great Waterlands, manage to get up there mostly intact. World War B is won, right? Goons are evicted. Well, the Imperium is evicted. Then what happens? Uh, everybody in the coalition of the billing uh, divvied up the map in the north uh, for where everybody wanted to live post-war. Uh, Vili made the case that we should uh, keep Vale for ourselves and live in Vale uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, it's, you know, it's good content in Losek, it's close to Jita, uh, its moons aren't the best, but, I mean, there's plenty of space to do reactions. You know, this is before uh, uh, engineering complexes and citadels in general. Uh, and also the stations, uh, Lawn and Bastion, uh, had almost fully upgraded all of the outposts in that region. It was pretty nice. So we moved into Vale with our capital being TVN Tech FM and Vale of the Silent. Uh, CO2 obviously lived in Tribute. Uh, there was a group of people called the Tenal Control Unit uh, that lived up in uh, Tenal uh, that sort of held that space. Uh, I forget who the people were that were part of Tenal Control Unit. There was a lot of dudes. Uh, <clears throat> just on the other side of CO2 was Pandemic Horde in Pure Blind and Fade, if I remember right. And then GOTG took uh, Declan and Branch. And, uh, you know, things were, things were pretty peaceful for a while. Uh, I had my own personal cadmium moon, okay? That was a big deal for me. I had, a, I had, a, I had an R16, I had my own personal moon. Wow. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not mentioning that because it's, like, strategically significant or, like, really important to the story, but I just want to say that I had a money moon. I had a personal money moon. Which, <laughs> it was listen, a big it was, step. Listen, it was an R16, okay, but but they treat me right over here in Texas. Okay? <laughs> uh, and so things were things were pretty okay uh, for a little bit. There were some you know skirmishes between groups. Uh, it was just you know just kind of casual, neutral like content. Uh, and then CO2 and NC dot kind of got into a skirmish over some dumb shit, and uh, CO2 got itself evicted from tribute. Uh, we were kind of, <clears throat> well, yeah. It's a little bit more than CO2 got evicted from Tribute, right? Because CO2, <laughs> they weren't fighting alone. Did I bury the lead there? Look, I, okay, listen. The, 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 the winners, okay, write history, and I'm a winner. So <clears throat> CO2 ah. lost Tribute. Not us. No, no, we were fine. Okay, so, so, so we lost Tribute. Uh, but that ended up costing <laughs> we fine. So we lost tribute. Uh, we, you know, w once CO2 kind of got dislodged from tribute, we really liked working with CO2. We kind of had to figure out what to do. Uh, we had heard that if we put them in the CO2, CO2 held some of the space in Veil of the Silent. And we heard that if we put them in Veil of the Silent, I think Dobbins told us that uh, PL would just chase them and then evict us or whatever. So we kind of had to make the decision about what to do about that, right? Because we didn't really want to leave them hanging. Uh, I told them to just hang out in uh, Venal, which is NPC Nolsec in the north, uh, Garista's NPC Nolsec space, and just you know kind of hang out there and kind of figure out what to do with themselves. Gigax really needed a break, and he just wasn't getting one. I kind of thought that'd help get his mind right. Uh, 
but the pressure kind of followed through from tribute into Veil of the Silent. We ended up at war with uh, PL. And uh, we saw the writing on the wall that eviction was coming for us too. So instead of fighting that war and dealing with that eviction, we just bailed. And where'd you go? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, so we moved down to Curse and began, uh, we took a month off, uh, the month of December for that year. Uh, and we transferred a bunch of assets up in the north over to NC Dot, uh, who paid for a lot of the stuff up there just to be peacefully transitioned over so they didn't have to do any, you know, like Christmas Day grinding. Uh, PL, on the other hand, decided they didn't want to give us uh, any money for anything and they just grind it all. So, you know, Christmas Day, I was out there flipping stuff for NC Dot and found a bunch of PL dudes just out there grinding stuff, just, just being mad. They got to grind stuff on Christmas. So that was unfortunate for them. And we ended up moving down to uh, Podion and Declan uh, to sort of get all of our stuff together, amassed in one place, consolidated, uh, got some allies lined up, and began invading Catch with the intention of just claiming the South for Test and our allies. So that meant we had to fight AAA and Goons. We had some pretty significant uh, fights. FRR2 is still fresh on a lot of people's minds. That was a big 10-hour kerpopple and catch uh, over some onlining structures that we were hoping to use for staging uh, that ended up dying. Uh, it was some good fights. Uh, and then AAA proved that they were not a reliable or capable ally for goons, and goons uh, left, left the engagement, left the theater. And then it was just uh, us and our allies fighting Russians that didn't want to fight. There's one thing uh, that you kind of skipped over, and I want to bring it up just because I use this in arguments all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about how they don't want to play the goons like game, right? Or they don't want to play now the test game, which is industry, mining, like building that kind of, you know, empire. And, you know, one of the things I always say is, well, you know, you didn't have to play that game. You just had to follow us down south. And if you would have followed us down south, we would have just, you know, crushed the goons. They were weak at that time, and it was ripe for the picking, but no one followed us down. So I, I want to get, like, your perspective on that, because I might be wrong. Do you mean the uh, Delft campaign that was at the end of World War B? Yes, sir. Yeah, that was a weird thing. Uh, you know, we talked to some of the members of the Coalition of the Billing, and they sounded interested in following ProGod down there. And then ProGod got a bunch of stuff set up, and nobody showed up. So it was just us. Uh, at the time, it was kind of an interesting uh, dynamic. So there was a bunch of guys that lived in Quirius, uh, some iteration of the Quirius Fight Club. I don't remember which. And uh, Goons decided they were going to go back and take Delve. And these guys were, like, upset that goons didn't, like, talk to them and, like, make deals with them or recognize they exist. And they just swooped in and started taking stuff. And ProGod saw that as kind of an opportunity, you know, to, to work with the natives and uh, disrupt goons' ability to take the solve, which was all, like, low ADM stuff. Like, it wasn't going to be a super huge struggle for them. They had a pretty good plan, but it required a lot of numbers. And we alone couldn't provide just those numbers to get that done. So that plan was not successful. Why do you think that people didn't follow you now? I, I always wondered that. Why did that peter out? How come no one was interested? 
Uh, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty for us. We were pretty hot to trot about it. I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people realized that what happened in World War B wasn't goons losing. It was them choosing not to fight. And they were taking every aspect of their war machine with them down to Delve to, to do this, to prosecute this war, to evict these guys and take Delve as their new home. And that's a hard thing to fight against unless you've got literally everybody with you, right, to go down there and fight them. And then you're leaving everything you just took in the north undefended to do that. And I think a lot of people just decided that really wasn't uh, a good uh, a good option. I don't know. I mean, it was definitely good fights. Like, dudes had a lot of fun. But uh, they just, you know, they're going they're going down there just as strong as they were. Like, there's, there's not a lot you can do unless you bring everybody with you. There is a, a level of burnout, though, right? Because even though goons weren't fighting as much in, in pitch battles as people may have liked, there was a lot of sob grinding. There was a lot of structure grinding. Like, the whole uh, goon mantra at the time was like the forever war or whatever, right? Make things as difficult on the invaders as possible. So there was a certain level of burnout within both the leadership and the membership of all of the other groups who were there with you during World War B. Do you think that was an issue? Were they just setting up their new space? Like, were those factors that you think were important? Well, I'm sure there was definitely a level of that in the other alliances that were in this coalition. They weren't very vocal about that being a factor. So if that was what kept them from doing it, I certainly didn't hear. Uh, internally in test, certainly that was a factor. There were definitely people that were tired you know, after we, I mean, this, this was happening like after everybody had claimed their space and they, you know, everybody was just moving in and there were definitely a lot of people that were tired of doing the grind and just wanted to, you know, get, get their wallets up, you know, get assets like set, you know, move in from Obe, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, they couldn't do that, uh, you know, while we're doing stuff down South. And morale was very high for us, right? Like, I mean, that we had just kind of come in from the cold, you know, <laughs> out of the snowstorm and into the apartment, you know, and it's like all warm and we're getting all this money. You know, we've been evicted for years and years and having a rough time and like, oh, you know, now we have a purpose. Now it's fun, you know. So we were ready. Like, it was exciting for us. But, you know, others, yeah, maybe not so much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. Uh, I mean, this this for us was, I mean, our biggest war in years and uh, like certainly the most fun we'd had fighting in a long time. I mean, it definitely revitalized a lot of people and that was good stuff. But I mean, like following goons across the map, like after that war, I don't know. I could definitely understand why some people didn't want to do it. But, uh, you know, by that same token, I don't know how successful we would have been if we'd brought everybody down there. I mean, that's not to, like, I'm not trying to say anything, you know, negative or adverse about our allies, or, you know, just that, man, there's a lot of goons, and man, they had everything they needed to win that campaign decisively if we decided to do it. That's, that would have been a tough call. I really don't blame people for not, you know, following us down there. So in the end, it didn't happen. Goons set up and delve. Then tribute happens, CO2 the situation happened you decided you moved down with them to catch took over catch and the surrounding regions uh big story there with regarding Stainwagon, of course uh russians who had been longtime inhabitants of this general area there's uh before my time in eve but there's apparently a big deal having to do with something called a russian winter in stain 
that this particular group, like everybody thought, you know, hey, listen, test is one, but Stainwagon, they're, they're just going to come back later. Did that happen? Did Stainwagon come back? Like, <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, and yeah, traditionally, uh, for those that aren't familiar, what Stain does is they lose their, what the Stainwagon guys do is they lose their space. Traditionally, it's in catch. Uh, and they turtle up in Stain, uh, which is NPC in Ilsec, and they you know heavily recruit and build assets and build wealth and you know their their income streams typically are uh pocos in stain uh, money moons in stain and uh there's a mission hub in stain that they charge rent for access to and so those are the the three big ways that they make their money in stain when they're you know hibernating and then typically uh when they're you know big enough and witter they they come back out and they try to retake what they've lost and uh, what ended up happening was they kept uh, harassing us in Esoteria, uh, trying to take moons in the, uh, the northeast, east, northwest, sorry, the northwest of Esoteria. And uh, we ended up pushing up into Stain, and over the course of a, I want to say it was two months, over the course of a two-month campaign, we ended up pushing Stain Wagon out of Stain. And that was a wow. big, that was a long war, a long grindy war of just shooting structures, you know, clearing out moons and clearing out Fortizars and clearing out everything they held in stain so that eventually you're just living in space you can't use. And then what do you do? You got to leave. You got to find you got to find a new place to live. Uh, as I recall, they ended up striking out into Fountain and uh, trying to fight the culture for some salt in Fountain and the culture uh, roundly defeated them. Uh, on just about every timer, and they ended up having to leave and go elsewhere. Uh, there are some remnants of Stain Wagon left, but most of Stain Wagon is just gone in other alliances now. So this is right around the time, so rather at this time, it's still Legacy Coalition includes Test, notably Test, Brave, CO2, right, was still a thing? Yes, actually, yes. I believe during that war they were still around, yeah. I don't believe they were very heavily involved in the Stain campaign. Was that because, was this, I'm trying to remember the timeline when the fight happened with Phoenix Federation, right? Because when you guys moved south, there were a bunch of groups fighting down to help you guys move in, in addition to Legacy. And Phoenix Federation was one of them, but then afterwards, Phoenix Federation sort of fell down. FCON went to a low point, joined the DRF, Triumvirate left the DRF. Big drama happened. And then, I guess that would have to be after this, right? Because CO2, you guys split with CO2 and Legacy when CO2 sighted and started shooting Solar Fleet and FCON, right? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, it was a couple months after the, the Stain campaign. Uh, we tried to uh, do a content deployment to the north, uh, and we set up in MTO2. MTO2? I think it's MTO2. Anyways, somewhere, somewhere up in the northeast, we needed a null sex stager, and uh, we made a deal with uh, XIX to secure you know, access to some of their infrastructure. Uh, but that meant that we also had uh, sort of a, a mutual defense kind of a deal set up is probably the best way to describe that. 
we didn't expect anything to really come from that. Uh, like we didn't expect anybody, certainly not anybody in our coalition, to do anything to trigger that sort of defensive agreement. Uh, we just figured it would be a thing you'd just agree to, and everything would just, you know, you'd never have to deal with it again. Uh, but yeah, then Triumvirate uh, pulled out of uh, that coalition, and they started working with CO2, and CO2 began uh, attacking FCON, and that triggered a bunch of defense packs, and that brought everything in the South to a war. It was great. And then after this war, or rather during this war, what ended the war is Judgment Day, right? Yeah, we decided that we uh, would have to push on CO2 to remove them as an ally from Triumvirate. We expected Triumvirate to come down and defend CO2, and it would create you know, some pretty cool set-piece fights, but Triumvirate never really showed up to help CO2. Uh, in the end... Uh, there was a lot of frustration with CO2 being removed from Legacy. Uh, the judge was certainly frustrated because we did this without being able to talk to him because it was during a, like a CSM summit. Uh, the judge had kind of a rough deal in CO2 uh, being head Diplo because GigX wasn't like super big at following diplomatic agreements. He just kind of, you know, he, he liked to ride the lightning, you know? He just kind of did GigX things. And you just kind of let GigX do things and then clean up afterwards. That feels like understatement of the year <laughs> yeah i mean like i'm not trying to be mean like he's a good dude uh but it's just yeah he just kind of he was very impulsive and uh it was tough it, i i i i really feel for the judge like he he put in a lot of work to keep co2 going like in spite of gig x being very impulsive and uh i can kind of i can kind of sympathize with why he might do what he did I'm not condoning it but i mean i can kind of understand it So that led to him taking all of CO2's assets and selling the Keepstarter goons, which we then bought and gave to Brave. And then with CO2 gone, we then had to deal with uh, Triumvirate and the rest of the war in the South, working with XIX to try and, you know, when we can, show up to timers and help defend assets for them. It's tough because most of the fighting was, you know, happening in the far northeast and we're in the south. But, you know, we showed up when we could, and we tried to help defend. Uh, FCON did fall eventually. It's very sad. Eventually, X, uh, XIX kind of fell apart. Uh, XIX is now an ally of Legacy. Uh, they live with us. They're good dudes, good to work with. So that whole process for them, the X-Death, Triumvirate, War, Skill Yourself, like, all of that was like 10 to 11 months of fighting for those guys. Like, it, that, that war stretched on for what seemed like forever. Like, towards the end, a lot of guys on both sides were talking about how tired they were of fighting, and I can really understand it. That is a long war. Fountain felt like forever for me. It was only like a month. Like, I can't imagine 11 months of fighting over Sov. Like, over an entire, like, half of the map of EVE. That's crazy. And I guess that brings us up to the end of 2017, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Awesome. So everything from within 2018 
we're going to be discussing on the Sunday show, because, again, that is what the actions that won Test Alliance, please ignore the Talking and Station's most influential organization. But we wanted this show to be sort of history, give you the context, understand where Tess is coming from and how they got into the position to do the things that you guys did this year that made you so influential in this game. So we covered your formation, we covered your early years, bouncing around Nullsec, even times in Faction Warfare, moving into Fountain, Hiroko, you guys have been like literally everywhere around the map. Is there a region you haven't lived in? I guess the drone regions, right? Yeah, drone regions. I don't think we've been to drone regions. I'm not in a hurry to go. I'm, like, it's fine. It's. I don't think I missed anything by not living there. It's really? Fine. I hear HK maybe uh, maybe a little bit down and out right now. There may be some uh, space there. I'm I'm cool. I'm all right. I don't know. All 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 of this all of this rebuild all of this stuff from Wicked Creek forward. Every every alliance that's growing or trying to become a superpower is just a few like good leadership members away from being able to achieve those goals and be successful. And for us, like it was certainly the work of, you know, Dran uh, and Vili and Progod and Durherder, like everybody putting in long hours, our Logiter, uh, like Dante, Seronis and uh, Zervon and Skiver and Crack Kills and everybody just putting in long hours, uh, like full work weeks worth of hours, just trying to right the ship and get us in the right direction. And lots of discussions and lots of meetings and lots of reorgs and lots of everything just to try and adapt to our situations and make the most out of what we have. And it's a lot of work, but I think it's I think it's paying dividends. You know, right now, kind of the talk, you know, is about the struggle of the medium sized alliances, right? Because there's it's very difficult, you know, for a medium sized alliance to survive nowadays. Um, so, you know, you you know, have led the Alliance out of the fire and, you know, now into success. Like what sort of advice would you give, you know, to a hundred, 200 person, you know, Alliance that is, you know, trying to get big or, you know, just struggling, you know, overall fronts, what would you kind of tell them? That's a tough question. I mean, if I if I had it all, you know, if I if I had to give myself any advice, like I would give them, I mean, it would just be, you know, it it it's teams of teams, right? It's it's teams of the right talent in place, you know, doing all the work, right? So you know, listen to people, right? Recognize talent and put it into position so that it can do, you know, so that people can put in the work and do the right things to get your alliance moving, and don't be afraid to change things when you need to. Tradition isn't worth, you know, your alliance going down the tubes just because you want to hang on to something from the past. I mean, it's it's not easy growing in this game from small to super huge to being a superpower. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time that a lot of people just don't have. And recognizing, like, how to delegate and forming teams of people you can delegate to is very, very important. I think that last point is really important because I, I personally, I think you do that really, really well which is you will get, you know, military people and be like, okay, you run with it and we're going like whatever you guys want to do. That's cool. And you know, you're in Lodgy run with it. You do it instead of just kind of stressing yourself out, you know, and just having to make every single little decision, you kind of take a step back and just let them kind of do their thing. Yeah, you got to trust people to succeed or fail on their own merits. You can't do everything for them. 
you know what I mean? That's, that's a tough lesson to learn too. But I mean, you know, in the end, these people are going to succeed or fail on their merits, regardless of your, you know, interference. Uh, I've been very fortunate to be in test and have test be very forgiving of me and my mistakes that I've made. And I try to be just as forgiving of people when they make mistakes. All right. Well, on that note, are there any of those people that you've delegated to besides or maybe just repeating the ones that you mentioned earlier that you'd like to give a shout out to as we end the show? Boy, yeah, just I really want to thank everybody uh, in test that's been in test in a position of leadership uh, in the last several years or ever for putting in the work that's put us on the map and made us who we are today. Uh, certainly Dran Arcana, Durherder, uh, Zervon, members of my high command leadership team now, you know, Progod and Vili. Uh, and every divisional uh, leadership, div divisional leader, divisional leader that we have. Uh, so, you know, obviously the head of our recon, Helithane, uh, the head of our logic department, uh, Zervon, the head of our SRP department uh, and our education department. Uh, just all of these people coming together are what makes us successful and me being the most handsome man in EVE, obviously. Oh, that's what we forgot to talk about. So I meant to ask you. What's the deal with Subarus? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Jin Lee May, uh, who is a former Dreaded CEO and for a long while a Dreaded shareholder and member of our high command team, uh, he's a Subaru enthusiast just like I am. <clears throat> and we were hanging out uh, on Mumble one night and we sort of started... Uh, you know, some guy was talking about his Ford F-150 and some guy was talking about his Chevy and he and I just started just 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 running running with a Subaru me about Subarus being great and it just never really stopped. And so, uh, you know, it just it, like it was just kind of one of those like things you could just slip into in a lull in the conversation or when somebody started sounding like they were selling something, you know, shilling some product or whatever, you just chill Subarus. It was a uh, it was good times. Uh, and then I got very, very drunk in World War B, and I wound up being interviewed by a streamer named Crass Kitty. And uh, the chat suggested that she ask me about Subarus at the end of the interview. I don't remember really anything about this interview. I remember it being like 30 <laughs> seconds to a minute long. I was, you know, I drank most of a fifth of rum that night. I was pretty trashed. Uh, and I woke up, and there was this video on the internet of my motivational words. Uh, of my talking about Subarus from this Crass Kitty interview. And that video has just, that 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 will follow me to the end of my time in EVE. That Subaru stuff has gotten us recruits. Uh, it's gotten us corps. It's gotten us alliances to work with. Uh, it, when, when I'm flying around in Empire space, people talk about Subarus with me in local chat. It's, it's pretty amazing. World Rally Blue is the finest color uh, known to man. And that is why it's our uh, color on the influence map uh, for both Alliance and Coalition. Yeah, and that's a, a really great segue. Did you know that Subarus have a no landfill policy? That's an example of how we I use did. it. <laughs> listen, listen, the, the Subaru horizontally opposed boxer engine is perfectly balanced, as everything should be. All right, all right, all right. Ron, you got any shout outs for us? Um, you know, uh, since this is a test, uh, focused and this is, I think this is the last one of the year, I would love to give a shout out for, uh, a great player that we lost this year, Sweat Mags. Uh, he was the mentor of all mentors, super nice guy. He was a director and board. 
and uh, we kind of lost him a little too soon. But shout out to Sweat. Silver? No, just happy new year and, and happy holidays to everyone around the world. Uh, it's been a fun year. My shout out goes to Goonswar members for being the richest salt mine I have found all year. <laughs> the amount, the amount of salt I have gone through as a result of this year's most ins- or most influential awards is mm, beautiful. But that'll do it for this episode. Make sure to tune in on Sunday where we talk with Pando from Initiative. I forget what corp. But he won the most influential individual, and then we'll also have some folks on from TESS to talk about what they did this year. This is why we gave them the most influential award. And uh, we'll continue on. We'll be looking into next year, following Triumvirate, see if they ever make it back into... I don't want to call them irrelevant. I hate that term. But we'll see if they they rebrand themselves, if they are uh, come forth from the ashes, if you will. Uh, we'll keep an eye on things. Who knows? Maybe Goonswarm will do something interesting that'll win them the influential award next year. In any case, we'll be keeping our eye on it and we'll make sure to keep you guys informed. See you next week.